0: Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Raya. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, and I publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. And our guest today is Bruce Landsberg. He is the vice chairman of the National Transportation Safety Board in Washington, D.C. I got some information recently that's uh, fantastic about the 10 most wanted, um, so to speak, improvements uh, for driving. And uh, welcome to our program, Bruce. We're really excited to have you on and to hear all about um, the wonderful world of driving safety. So welcome to our program. How are you today?
1: I'm I'm very well, uh, James and Bruce, and thank you very much uh, for having me. Uh, um, At the NTSB, we are very interested in driving safety because, uh, quite frankly, about 95% of our transportation fatalities are due to uh, injuries and and fatalities on the uh, on the highways
0: great before we get into those details um, I wanted to make sure that that if you could give us an explanation there are lots of at least three or four advocacy groups in Washington with different uh, initials Uh, could you just give us a little bit of a background about your organization and um, when it was started and and what you guys do uh, day in and day out
1: Uh, certainly The National Transportation Safety Board was uh, uh, founded in uh, 1967, and it was originally designed to address uh, airline accidents, uh, and there were a lot more air carrier accidents back in those days. We were probably averaging, oh, three or maybe four a year. And um, in 1974, uh, the president, President Nixon, uh, determined that NTSB, which was then living under the Department of Transportation, really needed to be completely independent and separate uh, from any political influence, and so it is one of the few government agencies out there where we report to nobody. Huh. Uh, the. N- I'm sorry.
0: That's great. You report to nobody. What a what a way to go. <laughs> I like that. That's job. great. I'm in. Well, it it
1: really it really is because it allows us uh, complete objectivity uh, to address things on a non-political basis. And the last I checked, accidents kind of occur on a non-partisan basis.
0: Yes. Very well said, Bruce. So now, how, how it,
2: did go ahead?
1: I was going to say. Um, so, as the number of aircraft accidents uh, diminished somewhat, unfortunately, we haven't gotten to zero yet, either in air carrier or in uh, general aviation, but then the the board did such a good job in those areas, Congress said, well, we'd like you to start looking at some of the other areas, which would include marine and highway and rail and pipeline, and uh, we want you to address all of those different areas as well. So that's how the board uh, really came to be. There are five board members, uh, of which I'm one. We are appointed by the president and then confirmed by the Senate. And then we have a a total of about 400 employees uh, spread around the country. Most of them are here in Washington, but we have regional offices. And by government standards, we're, we're very small, and we like to think of ourselves as fairly nimble
2: and you guys are expert at this because you've been doing like you say airplane accident investigations for a long time now so you know that know, know how to get to the details and how to fix things
1: that's uh... that's a very good point uh, we do have a tremendous amount of expertise here and many of the people and I'll focus this on on highways because that's where your interest is many of our investigators are ex-police officers, and we have metallurgists and and human factors people, and we have highway design engineers, all kinds of things, so we can look at the human, the machine, and the environment as the key areas, and and typically, an accident doesn't doesn't occur for just one reason. It's going to be a a sequence of of events that, that lead to it.
2: Like a snowball, yep. So I was interested in uh, your top, what is it, top ten most wanted things to get fixed, and several of those include the highway.
1: Yeah, we didn't exactly go with with top ten per se, but we just call it our most wanted list, and some of these um, are unfortunately evergreen in that, uh, the the causes of accidents really don't change very much. So I thought we might kind of work our way down through them uh, with uh, emphasis on, on highways, and, and please feel free to jump in and ask questions as we go along. Sure, sure
0: go right ahead, Bruce. Why don't you start from, from from the top, so to speak?
1: All right, well, I'll start with, uh, I think, one of my favorites, and that's distraction. Yes. And it's it is becoming a huge challenge uh, we're seeing the number of distraction-related accidents and fatalities going up as we become more addicted to distracting devices while we drive.
0: Yes, we did a podcast a number of episodes ago where we we didn't mean to chuckle because it's, it's serious, but we heard a new term of Netflixing, and we were, we were astonished that people do this. They're watching Netflix while they're driving, and I... I I mean regular texting is bad enough and and distracted reasons or or you know from phone calls and so forth but people watching movies was beyond me and has that um factored into what you guys do
1: Well it has uh we have I think the tip of the iceberg in the statistics uh that we have for last year we had um about 90,000 accidents total and around 3,000 fatalities that we can attribute directly to the distraction aspect. And we suspect that's underreported and that a lot of people aren't really going to admit to the fact that they were distracted. Because in some cases, the laws are starting to say, well, you know, if you were fooling around with your device, whatever that happens to be, uh, that's a violation of the law. So... It's, it is, it's, it's getting to be a bigger challenge uh, as we become more addicted to these devices.
2: Yeah, I'm an ex-cop and I used to do a lot of accident reports and, and the, the people involved in the accidents would always say, oh, I didn't see him or I didn't see it or, you know, and that, that was 35 years ago and they weren't paying attention. So I can imagine that when they still say, I didn't see him, you know, nowadays they're certainly on the phone or looking you know, changing the dial on the radio, what have you. They're distracted. Well, we,
1: we, we've done a lot of research uh, on what we call multitasking, and it, I think it has been very clearly shown that humans are not good multitaskers. Um, it, it does two things. One, it makes you stupid, and two, it makes you dangerous. And this might get to the a couple of the core things, and this will apply to some of the other areas that we talk about. But when accidents happen, they happen very, very quickly. We just completed a study on motorcycle safety, and we found out that in motorcycles as well as automobiles, it goes from everything's going along just fine, it's a great day, to catastrophic in sometimes less than three seconds. Yeah.
0: Does the... uh fact that people are now smoking marijuana while driving does that fall under distraction or impairment or maybe there that maybe there's another area that's another area
1: no that absolutely falls under the area of impairment and on well since you brought it up yes uh, impairment uh is another area we have about 10,000 fatalities uh annually due to some sort of uh impairment uh either due to alcohol alcohol is probably the big one yes uh, i think i think I will say probably we are going to see an increase in in marijuana related type accidents uh, as it becomes legalized in in more and more states. And the tough thing about mar- with alcohol, we know exactly what we're dealing with, yes. And we've had a lot of experience with that. And, and Bruce, as you as a as a former police officer, you you know how to deal with alcohol. Yeah. With marijuana, it's much much harder to measure. Uh, specifically what the what the level of impairment is because people um, handle it differently based on whether they're a regular user the amount of time it takes to degrade and so forth so we're in the in the process of learning and uh, a number of agencies are studying this to see if we can try to get ahead of it so we can identify fairly uh, whether somebody was in fact impaired the challenge we have is the word is out there oh you know Marijuana isn't a problem. It is. And in, in the right concentration, it absolutely will affect your ability to drive safely.
2: Sure it does. Yes, it does. Well, I also saw that uh, one of the things that you're going to be uh, trying to get through Congress or what have you would be um, like lowering the alcohol limit down to .05. That's
1: exactly right you get into a discussion of well how impaired is impaired and again the studies uh, you can pay your money take your choice as to you know exactly what the number is but it's been our observation that once you get above .05 you are degraded you may not be stumbling falling down drunk but you're not functioning at the level that either one of us would feel comfortable about having our family in the vehicle coming the right. other way,
0: yes. um, uh,
1: four feet away from your left fender.
0: Right, right. Uh, Bruce, when you have all these statistics, by the way, when I'm saying Bruce, I don't know if I'm talking to Bruce, Bruce, or Bruce. You, talk <laughs> I'm to talking you? to Bruce, the guest. Um, Bruce, uh, our expert today. Um, when you find have these findings, do you get re- reaction, I'm sure, from, uh the people who are in congress as the other bruce mentioned or do you get public feedback at all Do people write into your website or do you get any reaction from the public that says hey your findings are irrelevant or i didn't think about that or do you get some other kinds of feedback from the public uh, in general Uh,
1: that's a great question we get feedback from all different sources uh from congress and and obviously from various constituencies as you know every every uh, uh activity has a constituency but let me put this in context when we do an accident investigation we use what's called a party system and so it's not going to be just the ntsb so in in the case of an automobile accident we're probably going to have the the vehicle manufacturer the truck bus automobile manufacturer we're going to have uh the police involved we may have the uh, uh, state department of transportation that did the roads and the signage and that sort of thing in addition to our own experts so we get a very broad view of all of these things and our role is to take it all into account and not just look at it from our perspective, but take everybody's viewpoint so that when we come up with our findings and then ultimately probable cause, that's as balanced and as fact-driven as it can possibly be.
0: Yes.
2: How is it that you decide what uh, accidents to to study or to uh, review? Does somebody Great tell question. you to it or how?
1: Great question. Uh, In aviation, we are mandated to investigate every fatal accident, and so we do. And if we don't do it directly, if it's a a simpler accident, uh, we may delegate that to the FAA, but we are still responsible. As far as highway accidents are concerned, we sort of get to pick and choose as to what we go to. So uh, the most... Well, the one that I went out on my uh, first launch uh, as a new board member was to the uh, Schoharie, New York, limousine accident. Uh, That quite clearly qualified because it was our worst transportation accident since 2009, and we had 20 fatalities there. And so that one's getting a lot of attention. Uh, We are now looking at uh, a number of school bus-related accidents where students are uh, boarding the bus and cars uh, don't stop for the flashing lights or or things of that nature. Uh, If we see something that's unusual in terms of uh, the vehicle itself or there's something new, uh, we're spending a lot of time looking at the new uh, automated vehicles. Uh, because this is something everybody wants to to get to the you know I can sit in the back seat and watch my next Netflix right. or read my newspaper yes. and and you know the car is going to do it all so let me talk just briefly about that sure um the manufacturers are in you know, a big push to get this going because people are, in many cases not like you all are bored with driving and, and the car the car commercials never show people sitting in traffic they're always out on <laughs> no, the ro- they don't. open road and everything's beautiful the yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 it's great they, they don't show you sitting for 20 minutes in traffic where the car only moves you know 25 feet uh, kind of thing yes so they want to get the autonomous vehicle going so they even use aviation terms like autopilot or pilot assist or something like that mm-hmm. as a as, as an aviator, I can tell you that the automation in airplanes is child's play compared to what we have to do on the surface because there's a lot less to hit.
0: Yes. I know that we went to the uh, – Bruce and I have been several times, and I went this past November to the L.A. Auto Show, and and their precursor now is uh, – maybe that's an unfair term – but the auto automobility, and there were lots of people pushing – you know, autonomous vehicles and and related uh, industries with autonomous vehicles, and, and I've always felt that it's it's catastrophe waiting to happen. And and I understand you probably feel the same way that it's there's the rush is just too quick. If you feel the same way,
1: there's there's a balance point in in all of this, and I think you know the, the marketing that's not unique to the automotive industry, marketing sometimes gets a little bit ahead of the engineering. Yes, often. In, in their, oh, yes. In, <laughs> you may have noticed that yes. Uh, yes. in their enthusiasm to, to uh, sell a product. But this is going to be an iterative process, and and where we are now isn't where we're going to be five years from now or where we are ten years from now, and everybody's focused on the goal of I can sit in the back and Netflix, and the reality is that's not going to happen for a while, and the other thing that we're learning is not only is it the vehicle, but it's the highway and the road and the lane markings and and some of those kinds of things. So I think you're going to see places where these vehicles will do well, and there are going to be other places where they absolutely, given the the technology that we have in in the near future, you're going to have to have a human uh, in the the loop.
0: The Weekly Driver Podcast gets support from AmericanMuscle.com. Your late model Mustang and F-150 authority, bringing you the hottest products and top-notch customer service for over a decade. No one makes it easier to modify your ride. Visit AmericanMuscle.com today. I think I, you're I, right. I, I also wondered in another area, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, often I write a car review and I'll put the zero to 60 uh, speed um, of a sports car or a van or whatever the car is, I always uh, repetitively, in in my the way that I write it, I put zero sixty in five seconds or ten seconds, whatever it is. And I'm wondering if um, the higher the performance, more people seem to be caring uh, caring about performance these days. in even an entry level car, and is that ha- has that affected your studies on in recent years?
1: I I don't know that we've looked specifically at the acceleration ability of the vehicles but we do have a report out on speed and we've made a number of recommendations relative to uh, managing speed so let's talk a little bit about human human nature sure um, we all tend to follow the speed limit when we know we're being watched you put a cop on the side of the road with a radar gun
2: if we're pretty good then aren't we <laughs> yeah
1: it's amazing <laughs> how traffic slows down it is and and, and and so forth. So um, the challenge is, should we be using our law enforcement that way, or are there far more effective ways of doing this? And my belief is that, you know, speed limits should be realistically set. And then secondly, if we have them, we should enforce them. And uh, by using um, automated uh, technology to do it, be it speed cameras or drones or Or some other kind of device you can do it very very effectively and inexpensively and the money shouldn't be going into the general fund it should be going into the um, traffic safety area and it shouldn't be set as a revenue source it should be set as a legitimate uh, encouragement for people to be safe let me offer one other thought along those lines one of the biggest areas that we've had success in aviation is to go with a non-punitive approach. Now, this may seem kind of weird. Uh, Bruce, is a former police officer, you may or may not understand this. But me. In, in aviation, we found uh, that, that pilots were far more agreeable To behave and to admit when they'd made a mistake, if they weren't being punished and if it was inadvertent. So, if you look at speed cameras as an example, typically people don't get assessed points, but they get assessed a fine because you don't know exactly who was driving the car. Right. So, there there may be an opportunity there to say, okay, this is just going to cost you initially. Now, at some point, if somebody or somebody's car is continuously a bad actor, then maybe that requires a different approach. But I think it requires a a kind of a rethinking of how we do this and uh, I have some friends who would say, well, wait a minute, I'm on the highway, the government shouldn't be watching me, and my response is, yeah, you're on the highway with me, with my family, with my friends, and I have a, an expectation to be able to do that safety, safely, and if you are misbehaving, pick any one of our other areas, and so forth, then we have a right to call you on it.
2: Well, it makes sense intellectually, but yeah, people, a lot of people don't like to be uh, monitored by the government as they're going about their daily activities, but yeah, it would work, wouldn't it?
1: Well, it, it would, and I realize they don't like to be monitored, but I don't like dying in a car crash or having my friends killed. And, uh, you know, in this year we will be losing just over 100 people a day, 100 people a day in, in uh, highway accidents. Think about that number. Yes. That's the equivalent of two Boeing Seven Thirty Sevens crashing every week. Yes, that is we a great would,
2: comeback. Yep, exactly.
1: We would not tolerate that. Why do we tolerate it on our highways?
0: It's a very good point, um, Bruce. This might put you on the spot a little bit. You have obviously a vast amount of knowledge. Could you give us a little bit about your background? It, it, obviously, you said you're an aviator, and and uh, how did you come to to be in the position that you're in with um, with your expertise?
1: Uh, it was a long and checkered uh, career. Checkered. I uh, want to hear about learned... the checkered. <laughs> <laughs> all, all journalists do. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I learned. I learned to fly when I was in in college, and um, uh, I was uh, volunteered for the Air Force. Uh, they at the time said, "Well, we don't need any pilots, but we're going to uh, make make you a nuclear weapons officer with the uh, uh, the Minuteman system." Uh, My friends today are still aghast at the fact that they would put me at the uh, uh, pointy end of the command uh, chain uh, on nuclear weapons. But between uh, having gotten my commercial pilot certificate and and dealing with nuclear weapons early on, uh, that sort of got my mind to thinking about safety and so forth, because oops isn't in the vocabulary when you're dealing with with nukes. No. After that I uh, became a flight instructor, uh, taught quite a number of people how to fly, got hired by Cessna Aircraft Company in Wichita, Kansas, uh, and worked with them for a number of years on uh, aviation education, went to a large flight training company, Flight Safety, um, which was involved in simulator training. Uh, The last 22 years was with the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association running their safety division, and I retired from that was a failure in retirement and uh, good for you good for you yeah. and, and and a number of my aviation friends said you know uh you'd be really good at the national transportation safety board and i'd continued to fly all the years uh, uh with uh, both small airplanes and and some higher performance airplanes at high altitude and and so have kind of a a rounded background, uh, over uh, 7,000 hours of flight and, and many ratings and so on. And um, so uh, here I sit.
2: That's fantastic. you still background. fly? I'm sorry? Do you still fly? Do you still get, get up there once in a while? I do. Oh, I, I do. bet that's great. Uh,
1: I am privileged um I saved all my life. I had the privilege of flying other people's aircraft uh uh for all of my career until I retired and I told my wife I said you know why should we be doing 60 miles an hour on the highway and worrying about the police when we can be doing 180 miles an hour up high and having a lot fewer things to hit and I took her flying on our first date so she understood all of this and said, you know, this is a great idea. And so uh, I'm now privileged to have a, a small 30-year-old airplane that I love dearly and, and maintain and, and uh, um, periodically get up to fly it.
0: That's great. That's great. It just, it just came to mind the other day. I, I also report on golf, and I was at a, a golf tournament on the Monterey Peninsula, and they had to postpone the tournament to Monday morning. And um, there was a lot of referencing from – you know, people are going to have to change their flight schedules and so forth. And then there was a lot of referencing to, to, to the successful golfers who have their own airplanes and their own pilots. And and so that was the, a moot point for many of the top golfers. They can go wherever, whenever they want to out of the little Monterey Airport. And uh, there was quite a bit of discussion about that. So it, that came to mind uh, just this past week.
1: We could have uh, another much longer discussion about the benefits of of personal aviation and the fact that mere mortals can do it and it doesn't have to cost uh, an arm and a leg, uh, and it opens up tremendous uh, opportunities. It's not without some element of risk, but then uh, relative to highways, uh, that's not without some relative relative uh, measure of risk either.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Bruce, is there some other area that, I'm sure there's plenty of other areas, but is there one more area that you'd like to highlight for us that, um, that we should know about and uh, give us some more education because I'm soaking all this stuff up and I'm, I just feel like I've learned a lot in the last 30 minutes or so.
1: Well, you're very kind. Let's, let's talk very quickly about uh, fatigue and, and medical fitness. Thank and you. Um, now we have been focusing and our recommendations are more to the uh, truck and, and commercial uh, bus uh, Area, but this applies to all drivers as well. Uh, We're all we all suffer from fatigue periodically, and um, it's it's not to be taken lightly. And we need to be thinking about uh, you know how many hours of sleep did we get and so forth. If we're driving personally, we have a little more control over that than uh, we do if we're a professional driver. Uh, teen drivers also are particularly vulnerable to fatigue. Uh, the the uh, science says a teen should get eight to ten hours of sleep a night. I don't know of many that do, and then the the other challenge we have is they're typically the least experienced drivers and they are also the most likely to be addicted to their devices. So you have a triple threat there. So fatigue is, is a big challenge yes uh, the other the other area is is fitness, and again we are focused predominantly on the commercial uh side of things, but um, prescription drugs we see in our accident investigations a lot of prescription drugs uh, I'll give you uh just one of them uh diphenhydramine. It took me two weeks to learn how to pronounce that. you never heard of know it? Yeah, you will know it as Benadryl,
0: oh, uh, yes. NyQuil,
1: as okay. Advil-PM, and and so forth. And diphenhydramine is a wonderful drug when it's used as intended. Here's the problem. On, on every box that has that, there will be a warning label that says, you may experience drowsiness, do not operate machinery. Yes. In aviation... What we recommend is if you've taken this, and I can give you a personal example i had a had a cold uh, and I was supposed to take a flight the next morning and I had taken one of the nighttime cold medicines, slept like a baby, got up the next morning, and was yeah i'm I'm pretty relaxed, you know I feel pretty good and so forth, but I knew that I was still suffering from uh, some of i won't want to i don't want to call it a hangover, but I was more relaxed than normal and So I just decided I'm going to delay my flight for a bit until I'm sure that I'm 100%. In aviation, we recommend if the dosing interval is eight hours, for example, you extend that by five times. So that's going to be 40 hours a day and a half. Now, that may be a little optimistic, but that way we're sure that the sedating effects of uh, many of these drugs are going to be out of your system. So if, if you've got some kind of an illness or, or whatever, um, just relax, take it easy, and then get behind the wheel when you're ready to do so. Wow, sus- that's,
2: that's a good uh, safety margin there, five yes. times. I, I suspect that somebody might
0: say, uh, go to dinner with their, their wife or their friends, and maybe they have a cold and they've taken a Benadryl, but they also have one glass of wine and say, Hey, yeah, I just had a glass of wine, then you got the combination of both things and I'm sure that might be a a detriment as well.
1: So this is where we get into uh ride sharing, designated driver, the Ubers and lifts of the world and yes. so forth. We have all we we are now starting to get more alternatives to to these kinds of things and it, it's time that we used them because Nobody wants to have an accident. None of us would get in a vehicle if we thought we were going to crash. And the non-existent, invisible shield that we think is going to protect us doesn't.
2: What do you guys think of the latest science? Uh, the collision avoidance systems, the the, uh, the emergency braking. Uh, what, what's the story on that stuff?
1: Uh, we are we're big fans of the. Um, uh, Safety systems, And in fact, we have m- made a recommendation that safety shouldn't be optional on vehicles. It should be standard. And some of the car companies have said, well, you know, you've got to buy the top-of-the-line model in order to get the lane assist, the blind spot monitoring, the adaptive braking, et-, et cetera. And our point is, no. You're producing these things by the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands. The, the net cost difference is minimal let's do it. Let's, let's make it happen. And I'm pleased to say I think a number of the companies are starting to get the idea that this does make sense. Uh, I have adaptive speed control on, uh, a, a, on one of my cars. I don't have it on the other, and I can tell you it makes a difference.
0: It sure does. Uh, Bruce, that's uh, probably a great uh, spot for us to I wish we did a
2: two-hour podcast because I, I feel like we barely scratched well, the surface. But
0: b- before we go, Bruce has one uh, more just,
2: question. Uh, the occupant protection area—what's being done there? I mean, I'm obviously a, a big advocate of safety belts and harnesses um, through education. What else can be done there?
1: Well, the belts and harnesses are probably the simplest, single best thing that you could do, sure. and. And amazingly, we still find people who do not wear their belts and harnesses. Hard to imagine. it is it is hard to imagine, and uh, in a number of uh, the bus crashes that we investigate, uh, there are a number of people who get uh, uh, thrown out of the vehicle and subsequently uh, fatally injured because they didn't stay inside. So even if you're sitting in the back seat of a car or in in a multi-passenger vehicle, wear the harness. It it it, it will make a difference. If in the unlikely event, yeah, it probably won't happen, but if it does. Uh, we only allow one fatality to a customer
0: <laughs> right <laughs> That's right well uh bruce um bruce Landsberg, vice chairman of the national transportation safety board what a wealth of knowledge as you probably already know and i don't mean to be uh patronizing in any way but i just felt like i gained a lot of knowledge as i mentioned earlier in about 35 minutes so thank you very much for being our guest on the weekly driver podcast we really appreciate Appreciate your uh, your expertise and taking the time to be with us, and we'll do our best to uh, to get the word out. It's great. Thank you.
1: Well, well great. Thank you so much. And uh, you can follow us on uh, uh, our website at ntsb.gov. We hope that uh, you'll get your readers out there. We really appreciate your spreading the word, and uh, maybe uh, next year let's uh, let's check back and see how we're doing.
0: Absolutely, we we appreciate that offer, and and we'll uh, count on us, and and we'll do that. So thank you again, and. Enjoy the rest of your day, and um, safe driving, I guess I should yeah, say.
2: Yeah, I right? like what you guys do, and uh, appreciate you being here.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much, James and Bruce. It's been a great pleasure, and to all of your listeners out there, uh, please drive safely and, and think about uh, uh, what you're doing. Any vehicle that moves at much faster than about uh, two or three miles an hour uh, can cause major problems.
0: Okay, yep. well said. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks you again. Bye-bye thank now. You. Bye. Bye. That's it for this episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. Please uh, visit our website, www.theweeklydriver.com. And if you'd like to support our podcast, um, please visit uh, our website and click to the link on Amazon and and purchase your uh, items through Amazon and help support our podcast. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. The Weekly Driver Podcast receives support from americantrucks.com your late model Silverado, Sierra, Ram, and F-150 online aftermarket retailer, bringing you all of the hottest parts, from accessories to lift kits, from wheels to tires and winches. AmericanTrucks.com has the knowledge and know-how to make your wildest dreams come to reality.